Welcome to the one and only Circle City Cinema with your host and the one and only Zach Griffin. Welcome into the Running Hook favorite movie series on Circle City Cinema. I'm your host, Zach Griffith, and in our third entry of this series, I'm joined by the founder, Alex Burr. Hello, Zach. It feels like we haven't talked on a podcast in forever. You know, just it feels like we have gone so long without podcasting together. It's absolutely crazy at this point. It's been a week. <laughs> has, has it been a week? Time time flies, you know, when you're not podcasting with Zach Griffith. That's, that's what I, you know, that's a common expression. Wow. Wow, it is? It's a common expression? Yeah, it's a common expression that I just made up. So, boom, there's some knowledge for you. Very common. (laughs) Uh, Alex, third entry. You, your favorite movie. Tell us what it is. So, my favorite movie is Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. And so, Zach and I talked about my other two favorite movies in The Dark Knight and in Goodfellas. But this movie is always going to be ahead of it. And I can't really explain why I love it more than I love those two, but I just do. Like, I don't really have like a solid reasoning for it, but this movie. Yeah, go ahead and try and explain what I always ask the guests on this series. What, why, why is this your favorite movie? So I know, I know this is probably a question you'd ask too. Um, actually, I'll just answer this now. Actually, I'll, I'll wait for it, but I just love Robin Williams and Matt Damon in this movie. And I really think Manny Driver is very exceptional in this movie too. Yes. I love Affleck in this movie. I like there's not a wasted line of dialogue in this whole movie. Like you think about it, like I don't know if we're gonna touch this, but they're um Alexander Skarsgard and did I get the Skarsgard right? There's like seventy Stellan. Stellan Skarsgard, excuse me. There's like seventy five Skarsgards, you'll have to forgive me. And Robin Robin Williams characters are arguing, right? They're arguing over sandwiches and um, they're playing a game, right? And he's like asking the bartender. He's like, "Hey, have you heard of uh, Albert Einstein? Have you heard? I don't remember the first guy, but he's like, have you heard of Gerald Blambo, who is uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character? He's like, no. And they, he's like, I won the bet. Thank you. And the bartender goes over to like the main guest. And he's like, Hey, have you heard of Gerald Lambo? And there's just a <laughs> bunch of those in the movie, right? Like. And this this movie to me strikes like all the emotional chords you want to get, right? And we're going to talk about this, but you it's very happy at points, right? Like it's very joyful. And it's very emotional too. It has a lot of humor in it. Like how do you like those how do you like them apples is one of the best lines, one of the best and funniest lines in any movie, period. Um my boy is wicked smart. You can just kind of throw that under the rug. <laughs> like <laughs> It's just so many, like, so many perfect lines of dialogue in this movie and so many perfect scenes, too. Like, you could go back and watch damn near this whole movie just on YouTube scenes. I've done it before. Like, just, there's, like, what, seven or eight scenes alone you could just go back and watch. Like, I think I've seen the NSA scene probably, like, 50 times on YouTube. It's not even my favorite scene of this movie. Yeah. It's just that well done where I feel like you can just watch, you can sit down and Google or YouTube any part of this movie and it'll be satisfying to you. Like the, the mini driver blowjob story. (laughs) It's fucking hilarious. (laughs) Like there's just so many perfect elements. This movie. She's awesome in this movie. 
everyone's awesome in this movie. And I mean, Zach, would you agree? This is one of the better written movies that you've probably ever seen. Well, I don't say this a lot, but I think this is a perfect movie. Uh, You know, sometimes with movies that are, you know, considered great, by both fans and critics, I'll go back after I watch it and be like, uh, what would I change? You know, is it too long? Is it too short? Would I take some lines out? I legitimately, I, I wouldn't change a thing about this movie. It's perfect it's, as it is. I, I, I don't, there's nothing, I, I wouldn't recast anybody. I wouldn't write out any scenes. There's just nothing. I, I think it's just the right amount of time. I wouldn't change anything about it. Could you imagine recasting Robin fucking Williams in this role? No. Like, genuinely serious, like, and I know he kind of had the reputation, right, coming in, because, like, he was, you know, always joking, like, look at Mrs. Doubtfire, a lot of, like, physical comedy, right, like. Improv, a lot of that. And, like, even in this movie, one of the most famous lines that we'll get to is improv, I'm pretty sure. It is. Like, he, he took his comedic ability, and a lot of the best actors can do comedy very well and vice versa. Right. Look at John C. Riley. My introduction to John C. Riley was through comedies. I don't really think I've ever seen him in a serious role, but John C. Riley is probably the funniest part of Step Brothers and the funniest part of <laughs> Talladega Nights. Right. And John yeah. C. Riley's is really well regarded, serious actor. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of comedy to be able to do serious acting. I mean, look at Adam Sandler, too. Uncut Adam gems. Sandler a long time to be accepted by that by that uh, community of film, which is you know honestly a joke. But and the same thing with Robin Williams here. I mean, he had done serious stuff, uh, you know, Dead Poets, Good Morning Vietnam. But uh, this was probably and it's weird because Good Morning Vietnam is partly a war movie, so it's weird in saying this. But this is probably his most serious role, just in terms of the dialogue he's given the his his story arc his character's arc so and i well you know i'm kind of spoiling it stepping on uh something we'll get to later but i think it's his best role and i I really don't think i don't think it's close i mean he won the oscar for it in my opinion should have blown out anybody who was in contention for the best supporting actor oscar that year just it's his best role alex that's what i think yeah i mean it's not even close for me like it's just like a different level of gravitas you know that he has in this role and it like you feel him right he's a small man compared to Stellan Skarsgård in this movie Stellan Skarsgård literally towers over him right and I this I've watched this movie a lot and we'll get to probably the exact number in a second here but he Stellan Skarsgård physically towers over Robin Williams but Robin Williams towers over everyone in this movie and Matt Damon is throwing 100 miles an hour in this movie too and it doesn't matter because Robin Williams is just that damn good and I don't I couldn't imagine literally anyone else playing that role yeah like it, it was literally perfect and he like the not your fault son scene which is the scene that everyone thinks of yeah, it's in the running for when you go to- best scene in the movie I mean it's probably the scene that everyone thinks of right when you when you think of this movie yeah probably that or the bench scene you know that too yeah like those scenes don't work without robin williams he has enough like comedic gravitas to like you know like when he's telling the stories you know you laugh at him but then it's like he's 
all, you can also tell the sincerity in his like he has really sad eyes in this movie and i never noticed that before he looks like a guy whose wife died recently yeah and he you know the disheveled beard he we haven't like a lot of robin williams roles he's clean shaven he doesn't have a beard like that yeah you know, like all this stuff like matters, right? Like he grows beard, a mean beard, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. He looks like somebody from Boston. Yeah. Like the work that he did in this movie, right? The Like just the amount of emotion, raw emotion he portrays. Like just through his eyes when he chokes Will in the therapy scene, in the first therapy scene, he's like, I want him back here next Thursday at four o'clock. Right? Like you can feel you can feel Robin Williams in that scene. And I think like we know we figured out later on, obviously when he took his own life tragically, that he is a very troubled man. And I think, you know, you could say sadly in a way that kind of came through in this role. And I think it made it beautiful. Yeah. That's, um, you know, he died in 2014 and it kind of, it doesn't taint this movie at all. No, I don't think it just, but it kind of, you know, it's there. You, it's there when you, when you, when you think about it. But uh, Alex, how many, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? It's over ten. Yeah. Um, probably between ten and twenty. Right, maybe I'll do ten and fifteen to be more conservative. And I just—is it the movie you've seen the most out of any movie? It's either this or The Dark Knight. Yeah. The Dark Knight for me is one of those movies I could just turn it on wherever. And, yeah. you know, I can just, I literally can pick it up anywhere. This movie I like to watch from front to back. So yes. I'd probably go Dark Knight one, then this two, but it's close because Dark Knight, I could just pick it up in the, um, in the introduce a little anarchy scene, right? And yeah. For the rest of the movie. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little different for me because I like watching this one from the very beginning. Well, some movies you have to do that, in my opinion. Like, I'm with you. Dark Knight is probably the movie I've seen the most. But, like, for me, Django Unchained, which is another one of my favorite movies, I can't pick that up from anywhere. I have to watch the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't, like, it's funny because I can do that with Bastards, actually, but that's because they break up Bastards into chapters, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't like doing that with Bastards because it's the introduction scene is probably the best scene in the whole movie. But it's definitely a different experience for some movies, right? Like, Pulp Fiction is the one I can't pick up in the middle right. like, at it's, all. It's tough. The, those nonlinear storylines, those are tough. It's tough to do that with. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Um. So, uh, do you remember the first time you saw this? I actually don't, but I had, so, um, my parents had direct TV on, so I had a little recording thing in my room. So uh, the movies I had recorded on there. Okay. So this was like 2015 era, right? I know it was that time. So it was an IFC recording of Goodwill hunting. And I'm like, huh, I'd always heard good things about Goodwill hunting. I'll record it and I'll save it for later. And IFC is one of those cable channels that has that actual cursing on it. So no like um dubs like no like replacement. Like no what's what's the um how did they replace John McClain's words in Die Hard? Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> right? Mother Lover. No, I, I'm pretty sure it was Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> 
I think that's what it was. I'll Google it right now. Um, that's so but, bad. That's so bad. You know, some, yes, it, some lines are just so good. You have to keep them. I'm sorry. Yes, it's it's Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falcon. So <laughs> um, doesn't make any sense. No, but <laughs> you know, unless he's I mean, talking to Anthony Mackie, it makes sense. <laughs> Not there. Um, listen, you know. You can't have you can't be saying motherfucker on network TV, Zach. That's yeah, that's, you can't. It's a bridge too far. <laughs> but I I so I didn't have any of the um you know bleeped out curse words or exchange curse words. So I saw the movie. I mean there was commercial breaks, but I mean this movie isn't a bad movie like a bad cable movie at all, because you're right. It's the perfect length. So you had commercials in there, it's like a three hour viewing experience and you if you can fast forward through the commercials, it's okay. So let me go through like basically what I had on that DVR, what I remember. So I had some games, right? Like I'm pretty sure I had 2016, um, the one of the rewatchables we did back in the summer, the uh, Thunder, uh, Thunder Golden State yes. game. Um, I had the Godfather seven hour version. And I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen this. Okay, it's Godfather one and Godfather two in chronological order. So they do all the, they, so I think this was an HBO exclusive and I don't know where this is now. It's not an HBO max because the Godfather is not streaming on HBO, but bullshit. So basically you go through, (laughs) you go through Italy first, right? Yeah. The movie starts in Italy and you move through you go through all the De Niro stuff. You go through all the De Niro stuff first, then you get to Godfather 1, then Godfather 2. So it's actually kind of a more enjoyable viewing experience because as much as I love Godfather 2 and I think it's probably the best movie of all time, that's it makes think. it it makes it an easier viewing experience. And then obviously the flashback scene that's at the end of Godfather 2 is still there. They don't put that at the towards the beginning because that would make that would be bad for Godfather 2. Like, I think that's even a bridge too far, but it's really good. And they include all the deleted scenes. Like, there's a deleted scene. Um, what's the sister? What's Connie's boyfriend's name? Um, Carlo? Carlo. They include an extra scene of Carlo being really vicious with her. And that's why Sonny, that's why Sonny, um, that's why she, remember, she she calls Sonny and then Sonny gets gunned down in the, that's what happens. Oh, yeah. so they oh, show yeah. that scene. So. <laughs> All the deleted scenes are in there. So it's, I don't know if it's out there. I'll actually Google it while you transition to the next thing, but I thought that was interesting. Well, is Godfather 3 included? No, it was not. Okay, good, good. Then I'm probably watching them. Uh, My first viewing, uh, actually, it was funny. First time I ever got the number of a girl I liked was during my first viewing of Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> wow. How do you like those apples? I liked them. I thought it was pretty nice. That was pretty cool. Didn't go anywhere, but I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, 1997 movies for context, Alex. Uh, the big one, Titanic. Titanic is the highest grossing movie of all time. At the time, it won Best Picture, and it was the first movie to ever pass a billion dollars at the box office. So you can't, can't get much better than that. The Lost World, Jurassic Park. The Jurassic Park sequel, which kind of sucks. Men in Black, Tomorrow Never Dies, James Bond movie. Air Force One, some late career Harrison Ford action movies. You love it? You love to see it? (laughs) I always preferred Air Force Two myself. (laughs) Uh, As good as it gets, Liar Liar. The Fifth Element, which uh, was a surprise box office hit. Made a shitload of money that summer. Uh, The Game... 
from our boy David Fincher. Batman and Robin, which not only is one of the worst superhero movies of all time, it's one of the worst movies of all time, period. I think it's currently sporting a 3.7 on IMDb. It's, pre- it's pretty bad. It's pretty low, Alex. <laughs> Did you ever get around to Cinephobe, Zach, that podcast I recommended to you? Not yet, but I, <laughs> I can't all wait right. to. All right, so let me tell you a story. Right, that they said in there. I'm just gonna go ahead and spoil this for you because this is awesome. All right, so I haven't seen the movie myself, but listen, and Cinephobe is not on our network, but it's absolutely fucking awesome podcast. I can't recommend it enough because they they watch awful movies and they hate each other, and it's just absolutely great. So basically, Nick Cage was in line to play Superman, right? Yes, yes, and the guy who was um, in charge. I think the whoever directed this, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Joel Schumacher? Uh, yeah. Schumacher, was, I think, was supposed to direct that Superman movie. But because Batman and Robin flopped so bad, that's the reason why the, that movie never got off the ground. Good. So Joel Good. Schumacher is the reason we didn't get, didn't Nick, get Nick Cage to Superman. <laughs> there is test footage of that on YouTube. You can see Nick Cage in a Superman costume on YouTube. It's pretty awesome, I got to say. <laughs> He still has the con air hair. Like he still has the, the pretty long hair. <laughs> it's pretty nice. Uh, Hercules animated movie. Pretty good. Face off. Speaking of Nick Cage, one of Nick Cage's all time performances. I loved it. The Rainmaker. Uh, another Matt Damon movie. He was pretty busy this year. Uh, Steel. The Shack movie, which unfortunately I have seen and is as bad as everyone says it is. Spawn. Contact, which is, I, I really like Contact. It's a bad rap, I think. Devil's Advocate, which Alex, you said you saw 40 minutes of? Yeah, I just couldn't make it through. <laughs> I, I, I tried. It just was boring. It's pretty I, I, wild. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And the concept, like, it would that movie is a movie that needs to be cut down. Yes. Oh, God, like, yeah. That movie it was three like, hours. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm watching this movie. You know, Keanu's fine. Charlize is. Um, I didn't know that Charlize was acting in 1997. Um, oh yeah, I was. I was a little shocked. Um, but that movie was just way too long, and I really, <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna watch the first hour of Snyder Cut, and I did, and I was happier with it. Good, good. Uh, two hours, twenty six minutes. Devil's Advocate probably needs to be like an hour fifty. Yeah, it's that's that's about. It needs to get into long. the action quicker, like. Yeah, and maybe on. I'll pick it back up like this weekend if I have a little bit of time. But I, I just I can't see it. It's about a half hour too long. Come on, though. Come on. Um, let's see. L.A. Confidential and Donnie Brasco, one of the great mob movies of all time. So, Alex, one of our Mount Rushmores tonight. Give me your 1997 movie Mount Rushmore. So a movie. I think, there, did- I think there's two locks, definitely. So I haven't seen Titanic, but that was one of my locks. Yeah. Obviously, I have Goodwill Hunting on there. Um, and then I had Jackie Brown on there. Jackie Brown also came out in 1997. Hey, yes, yeah. And I love I have only seen it once, but it's awesome. It's, Another movie that probably should be cut down a little bit, but I I'm fine with it. I mean, the whole first of all, De Niro and Sam Jackson acting together a lot in a Tarantino movie. It's just pure gold. De Niro is supporting character, which you don't see often. Pam Greer is great in that movie. Chris Tucker. Uh, Chris Tucker, yeah. One of his first <laughs> roles, I think. Robert Forster. 
yeah, that whole movie was just great. It probably didn't need to be cut down a little, but I love um, Samuel L. Jackson, great villain in that movie. Yes. And then phenomenal. So, so for my last one, I went with I, I'm trying to be intellectually honest here and go with movies I have seen. And it's been a while since I've seen it, but I went with Men in Black just because it, it spawned a franchise and people are still trying to create that Men in Black magic yes. 20 years later. So I haven't seen it in probably oh, like 15 years, but I figured since it spawned such a franchise, I had to go with. You got to put it on there. Yeah, you got to put it on there. Speaking of Jackie Brown, I think that's probably the most underrated Tarantino movie. I'm not oh, counting my. Death. I'm not counting Death Proof because nobody's seen Death Proof. But Jackie Brown, that's the most underrated. I mean, Pam Greer's absolutely fucking phenomenal in it. That revived her career. Like, it's not even an exaggeration to say that. Literally revived her career. Like, think about how just wild it is that Tarantino coming off of Pulp Fiction, right? He has. You know, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. He's made Samuel L. Jackson a star. He's revitalized John Travolta's career, right? And then he comes out a star as well. He comes out and makes a movie, and I haven't seen it in a while, so forgive me if my details are a little bit off here. But basically, Pam Greer is an airline attendant who's trying to smuggle drugs for Samuel L. Jackson's character. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, But and then it makes an airline attendant the star of his next movie. I mean, I, I think her and Samuel L. Jackson are the two stars, but, and you're right, Robert De Niro in a supporting role. So, yes, it was, a movie is just very underrated. I have to watch it again because it's been a while. Some people, like Jason Concepcion of, uh, now of Crooked Media, formerly of The Ringer, had it third in his list of Tarantino movies. Maybe even second. You know what? That's fine. That's fine. I, 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 wonder, I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to argue with it. I won't argue with it either, even though the it's Tarantino not The Tarantino movies, you can do anything with them. You can do anything with them. And the thing about that one is, it's if you take out the last like 10 minutes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jackie Brown's probably his least violent movie. It prob- I mean, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably fair. Like, the last 10 minutes of... Once Upon a Time puts it over the top because there's not really a whole lot of violence before that. It's basically no violence other than the uh, the Bruce Lee fight. I mean, and that's Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson definitely kills some people. Yes. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I think Once Upon a Time was the first uh, Tarantino movie that Sammy Sammy wasn't in. Yeah, he wasn't in Bastards, but he narrated it. Yeah, that's why. That's why I'm counting Bastards, and then I count Kill Bill as one movie. I don't think he was in Death Proof. I've only seen Death Proof once, but again, re- no, nobody's seen Death Proof. I'm not watching that movie, so I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna know. Well, when we do our Tarantino series, spoiler alert: Death Proof will not be included. <laughs> of course not. What's your uh, What's your <laughs> r- Rushmore for '97? Well, I got Titanic. I got Titanic. Yeah, it has it has to be on there. And uh, when we get to the Oscars section, I'll talk about how really just shit luck for Goodwill Hunting when it came to winning Best Picture. Uh, then I have Goodwill Hunting. Those are the two locks. They have to be on here. Then I've got Men in Black. Men in Black is a great movie. It's in my... I think I think all three of them are in my collection, even though the second one is uh, not great, but they're, they're, they're all in there. And then I've got L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential is a great cop movie, a great crooked cop movie. Uh, it's by a guy named Curtis Hansen, who is not really well-known but is a really good director. Early Russell Crowe. 
early Guy Pierce. If you've seen Memento or Iron Man three, Guy Pierce. So and then Kevin Spacey as well. So give me that as my Mount Rushmore. Tough omissions I had, the game. My boy Fincher, tough to leave him off. I really I really wanted to put the game on here. I couldn't put it over LA Confidential. I just couldn't do it. And then Face Off uh, really had no business being on the Mount Rushmore, but I just love Nick Cage. And I love Travolta in that movie. So <laughs> they go they both go over the top. So I had to had to put that on tough omission. And then Donnie Brasco and Jackie Brown, two just two really good crime movies. So Left those off. You talk about having busy 1997s for Matt Damon. Al Pacino. Yeah. Busy year. Shit. Al Pacino is very busy. Busy year for Alfredo. <laughs> That's his name, right? I'm not like making that yeah, up. No, that is. Or uh, I think it might be Alphonse. I don't no, know. it's Alfredo James Pacino. Wow. Good. I like. No, Alphonse is Capone. That's mm. pretty bad. I mix those guys up, Pacino and Capone. I mean, <laughs> hey, at least one of those guys is dead, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so the Oscars for this year, uh, Goodwill Hunting nominated for a lot. It won Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams and Best Original Screenplay for Affleck and Damon. It was nominated for Best Picture, and it lost to Titanic, which I said was shit luck. And here's why, Alex. Here's why. I mentioned it's the biggest movie of all time to this point in time, in 1997. Um, the, ty- the, the Academy rarely does this, but it was the most culturally impactful movie that year. The Academy gave it Best Picture. So since I'm a degenerate, Alex, I went through every Best Picture winner since 1990 to determine when a top three culturally impactful movie for that year one best picture. And it's okay. only happened eight times. All right, let's hear the eight. So the last one was in 07. That was the last time it happened. Well, that was uh, was Crash. No, it wasn't Crash. What, what was that? No Country for Old Men. Okay. Yes. That one best picture? Damn. Yes, it did. In a loaded year. Really loaded year. Then 2006 for The Departed. Departed. The Departed. 2003, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Okay. 2000. Gladiator. And then we have 97 with Titanic, 94 with Forrest Gump, mm. 93 Schindler's List, and 91 Silence of the Lamps. Okay. I mean, I feel like 94, I still, like, I, I understand Forrest Gump's appeal as a movie. It, listen, I did say it's a little overrated, but I can't deny it's a great movie. Well, you didn't say it was bad like Jacob Keith. Jacob no. Keith, Jacob Keith should be ashamed of himself for that take. But you know what, Alex? Jacob Heath is a Knicks fan, so he doesn't know something's good when he's watching it. He doesn't know. That's true. Um, (laughs) I mean, I did. I have seen um, Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. I do feel like those are better movies. Like, okay, Forrest Gump, that's an interesting discussion. Like, I feel like Pulp Fiction, are you just talking about at that particular moment in time, like in 1994? Because Forrest Gump is great, but I still feel like Pulp Fiction just has had more cultural impact. Yeah, I'm just I just mean like the Academy picked a movie for Best Picture that was one of the top three okay. most culturally impactful movies that year, and Forrest Gump definitely was. So like, I mean to be fair, okay, Pulp Fiction and um, I wouldn't have picked Forrest Gump, but I have no problem with Forrest Gump winning. 
I don't either. I wish Pulp Fiction or Shawshank would have won because I probably would have picked Pulp. Right. I mean, Shawshank is one of the absolute best movies I think I've ever seen. I I haven't watched it. Top 10 all time. I haven't watched it in forever, but yeah, I think that's probably that's that's about right because those movies are all, you know, especially the departed, you know, they're all very culturally impactful, you know. Are you a cop? (laughs) (laughs) What's the most ever lost in a coin toss? I need to know what I saw in the game. (laughs) Sir? (laughs) I I didn't put anything up. Yes, you did. You've been putting up your whole life. You just didn't know it. (laughs) Louis Allen. (laughs) People always say the same thing. You don't have to do this. <laughs> oh jeez. Uh but that I just think that's one of my big problems with the academy. They don't I mean 2007 was the last time Alex. They gave uh a best picture to one of the top 3 most important movies, so they just don't do it enough. They don't do it enough. I think they're trying to it's weird, right? Cuz now I feel like this is something this is actually something I've wanted to talk about coming in, so this is a good kind of dropping off point. I feel like they're getting too artsy with it, right? Because I feel like they're responding to the age yes, of are. the blockbuster, right? And it's a, it's kind of, if you look at it from a certain point of view, it's a valid criticism, right? But are we making movies like Goodwill Hunting anymore? No, we're not. Like, we're not. It's either like really art house film. or it's That's either, a shame. Yeah, it's really, like, I mean, the closest movie probably to this is probably like actually Once Upon a Time. Yeah, like that's, uh, yeah. Uh, I would throw Manchester by the Sea in there, which right. oddly enough, Matt Damon produced. But y- and, you're right; uh, we don't get these kind of movies anymore. We just and don't. Morgan Stodden. as <laughs> my as my Boston accent. <laughs> my boy's wicked smart. But yeah, like they don't. Manchester by the Sea is a great example. That's probably like one of the last ones that we've made like that, and we we just don't make movies like that anymore. And I do think it's coming like a little too much of an extreme where like movies either the Academy really loves movies that glorify Hollywood, which makes sense. Who isn't full of themselves? Yeah. Like, so they love La La Land. They love, I mean, Moonlight One. They hate Mank. I don't care what they say. They hate Mank. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like that side of Hollywood, Zach. No. I mean, I didn't see Mank, but from what I gathered from what you guys talked about on that episode, they don't like that side of Hollywood. (laughs) Um, Yeah, man. Like, I think that I love creativity and like creativity like this makes movies like this get made. And yes, we need more movies like Goodwill Hunting. We shouldn't have to go back 25 years to find just like quaint movies like this. No, you shouldn't, because I think you're right. Once upon a time. You know, 2019 was an epic year for movies, in my opinion. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, if it wasn't for Parasite, probably would have been my pick for Best Picture. And, you know, Tarantino's one of the last guys, and it's really why I hope he's bluffing when he says he's going to stop at 10 movies. Because, you know, him, the Coens, I know the Coens adapt some of their stuff, but, you know, those guys, they're like the only original minds left. I mean, they really are. Nolan... That's it. Yeah. And Nolan, we see Nolan just likes to get really weird with it when he has full autonomy of his movies. Like, yeah. yes, he's very much. And I'm not I'm not saying this is an insult. 
but he's very much like that one kid in like a, who took a philosophy class in college. And no, he is. But I mean, and it's he worked is. for him. People love his movies. So the I'm not going to stellar exhibit A. Yeah, exactly. Like I still, I think I've watched Interstellar three times, and I still don't know what the fuck it means. I still don't know what it's about. All I know is Murph. But you know it's original, and you know you liked it, right? Original movies, just you know, I love the comic book boom, right? Zach yes. and I, we've yes. been doing we've been doing podcasts for no bas- problem with it. Basically, this whole year, reviewing comic book stuff, right? We we really have no room to judge, like like. Marty Scorsese, I understand where he's coming from. I'll say that, right? Sure. I, I don't agree with it, but I understand where he's coming from because it's like, it feels like, it just feels like we can't get a whole lot of movies that aren't comic book movies or aren't like Star Wars. Like, do we need this many Star Wars? <laughs> can't that money be put into a better place? Uh, well, we didn't need the sequel trilogy. The shows no. I'm okay with, but the sequel right. trilogy was pretty uh, abysmal and really just unneeded. That's why I like what Disney is doing with their shows in all in all franchises because they're they're letting creativity reign with the TV shows because movies are a lot more constrictive. But I'd rather see like movies like this, like movies like Good yes. Will Hunting. Like I don't want to. I don't need to see another Star Wars. Right. No. Like. And I'm it one of the biggest like, Star Wars fans you'll find, and I agree with right. you. Right. Like, it's either we get new Star Wars movies, we get new... Um, we Marvel, get really art, DC... We, we get art house films, or we get biopics. Yep. A lot of biopics, and I'm not Shitty complaining. Shitty biopics, right? I might add. Uh, yes, a lot of them, right? Like, the, I'm not going to watch the Elton John one, but... No, don't. I, the only reason the Bohemian Rhapsody was... I liked it was just because I like Queen songs. <laughs> that's fine. And I got to listen to Queen songs for two hours. Yeah, that's fine. But I just, the biopics, like the only good one that's I've liked recently was Judas and the Black Messiah. And I don't know if you ever got around to watching it, but no, I did not. It was when you can, when it comes back to HBO. Like, oh, yes, I did. Yeah, I did. did. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you agree, Kaluuya and Stanfield are throwing 7 million miles an hour. In Both that. nominated, and rightfully so. One of them's probably right. going to win. Right, and I think it's probably going to be Kaluuya. <laughs> that man just took that role and yeah. ate it. But yes. um, Let's get back to the, the Oscar nominees, because I, I kind of went on my little rant there. Yeah, so I mentioned how it's just bad luck for Goodwill Hunting here. Coming out in the same year as not only the biggest movie of all time, but you know, one of the most important movies of all time. I wouldn't have picked, I would have voted for Goodwill Hunting, honestly, but I have no quarrel with Titanic winning. Titanic, you know, people think it's a bad movie and that's just cute. That's a cute take, but it's not, it's not a bad movie at all. Uh, best director, Gus Van Zant. He was nominated. He lost to James Cameron for Titanic. Again, just shit luck. Best actor, Matt Damon lost to Jack Nicholson. Here's my problem. Jack Nicholson was in as good as it gets this year, and he won. I'm not saying it was a bad performance, because it wasn't. It was very good. But Matt Damon was the best actor this year. And Jack, you can't even say this was a makeup Oscar by the Academy, because Jack Nicholson had two Oscars to this point. He had one for One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest, and he had a supporting for, I don't remember what, but... It just it didn't make any sense. I'm sure it didn't make any sense at the time. 
it just it's bad it's bad looking back on it especially because i mean have you seen as good as it gets alex i have not no i bet half the people listening to this haven't seen it i've seen it once it's a fine film it's fine i'm never gonna watch it again just why are you handing out awards to i don't just forget it just it it doesn't make sense either because damon is acting his ass off in this movie and I just I, I don't understand because the range of emotions he shows, right? Like he's giddy at some points. He's beating the shit out of people at some point. And you see and he's rub- hanging with Robin Williams, right? You like when he's beating the shit out of the dude in the ones like at the very beginning of the movie, right? He is just like you see it on his face, like it looks genuine. So I, I just don't understand it. But let's let's get through the rest of the Oscars That's before it. Whatever. Uh, best supporting actress, Minnie Driver, lost to Kim Basinger for. Um, LA Confidential. I'm actually fine with this. Uh, at first glance, I thought Mini Driver should have won, but Kim Basinger was unbelievable in the LA Confidential, so I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Again, just tough luck. Best film editing, best original score for Danny Elfman, and best original song, which I think also lost to Titanic. So, you know, a combination of bad luck and just dumb decisions by the Academy. Yep. Wasn't that My Heart Will Go On? <laughs> yes, it was. Okay, I can understand. And what was was it the Elliot Smith song nominated for Best Original Song? I think so. Well, let me look it up real quick. But Elliot, uh, Elliot Smith songs, because I don't know if we're going to talk about that, but the Angelus song when he's, um, I, I know the name of the song because I listen to it sometimes because I think it's a perfect song, but... Um, that's not what I wanted to look. Oh God, that's what happens when the Zoom is covering here. Um. <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna get into the plot synopsis while you're looking that up. All right, sounds uh, good. Uh, Will Hunting, a janitor at MIT, has a gift for mathematics, but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. Should be mentioned, Will Hunting also an ex-con with quite a lengthy rap sheet. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at your rap sheet here. <laughs> You cited 19th century horse and buggy law. 1796. I don't care. You hit a cop. You're going in. (laughs) Good Will Hunting, directed by Gus Van Zandt, produced by Lawrence Bender, who has produced a lot of uh, Quentin Tarantino movies, a lot. Uh, Written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Music by Danny Elfman, cinematography by John Yves Escoffier, who unfortunately died not too long after this movie came out. Uh, edited by Pietro Scalia and starring Matt Damon, Robin Williams, Ben Affleck, Mini Driver, Stellan Skarsgård. 8.3 out of 10 IMDb. What do you think of that rating? I mean, probably should be higher. I'd give it a 9.0. I'd give it an 8.5 at least. Yeah. It's, it's a little too low. Uh, but our, our guy, Roger Ebert, three out of four. He liked it. He liked it a lot. Yeah, I always forget that Raj, three stars means he liked it, and he gives different scales for different movies. Should have been I, a four, but yeah. I'll take a three. I'll take a three. I, I'm just hating because it's my favorite movie, so I want him. I want it to be a four <laughs> out of four. But <laughs> And here's the, here's the mind-boggling thing about it. You know, obviously overshadowed by Titanic, but a $10 million budget. 226 million box office. It was one of the top 10 highest grossing movies of 97. 
And this just would not happen today, Alex. No. No, no mid-budget films make it to the theaters anymore, let alone get the hype no. that this got. No. It's just, you know, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways, but it is what it is. Roger Ebert in his review said, the film has a good ear for the way these characters might really talk. I totally agree. And the outcome of the movie is fairly predictable. So is the whole story, really. It's the individual moments, not the payoff, that make it so effective. I agree. Yeah, that's a, actually really accurate. And Because I don't really care about the ending of this movie. It's the journey you go on with um, with Will Hunting yeah. that matters more than you know any individual destination. And with Sean a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Sean and uh, Jerry Lambeau rivalry. Yes, rivalry so. slash friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, you got two. You got a lot of uh, interconnecting relationships in this movie. Wh- whether it's those two guys, whether it's Will and Sean, whether it's Will and Chucky, Will and Skyler, just you know, a lot, a lot of relationships going on. And I think Raj was pretty right in that in that assessment. I would say. Uh, the best scene, Alex. We got a the, lot. The, I, I think there's one cut and dry answer for me for the best scene, but we'll, we'll go through them all. There are a lot of candidates. I, I think there is a, 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 a clear winner, but we'll see. Well, well uh, I don't think we'll agree, actually, but I, I think that's we'll, we'll have to see. Oh, okay. All right. Will proves the theorem at MIT on the chalkboard. Uh, the blacktop brawl, which is honestly kind of funny looking back on it. This. <laughs> This is where you could tell the budget was $10 million. <laughs> Look at Casey Affleck's face when he's punching the guy. Like it's moving in really slow motion. And he's like, he's like really gritting his teeth. Like he's really going all out and it looks absolutely awful. Now the will like with Matt Damon punching. Yeah, it looks okay. But the that particular slow-mo, that might've been, that might have been one little miss there. One little miss. But it, I, I, it's not coming out of the movie for me because I just love that moment. Like, I love watching Casey Affleck's face in that moment. It's absolutely fucking hilarious. Also, the most loyal friends you will find? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you yeah let's go movie? fuck this guy up. All right, let's go. Did you watch this movie with subtitles, Zach? No. You got to watch it with subtitles because, um, you know, Bill, the uh, Cole Hauser character... I never heard what he was saying <laughs> and the like subtitle dialogue is absolutely fucking hilarious for him. Cause he's just telling Morgan, basically I'm going to fuck you up the whole movie. <laughs> so, hey, we'll put your sandwich on layaway. You come in every day, 10 cents. That's a, <laughs> okay. So this is the perfect opportunity to say this. Every time I watch this movie and that scene com- comes up, Chucky, can I get my double burger? <laughs> Think about it like credit and put it on layaway, just like your mother paid for a couch. I like the scene uh, with uh, when uh, he makes the call in the rain. Will does, and he comes back, and he and Casey's like, "You forgot the number?" And he was like, "No, it's your mom's nine hundred number. I just forgot the. <laughs> I didn't have enough quarters." <laughs> Damon's Boston accent. Can we agree? Like, I know that these the guys best. are all native New Englanders, but Damon's Damon's Boston accent in this and the departed is by far the best. It's the best. I honestly, you know, because I'm a degenerate, I think about this stuff. Who had the best Boston accent in movies? And I think it's him. I think it's Affleck. I think it's Mark Wahlberg. Mac Wahlberg. Yeah, that's yeah. probably right. Say hi to your mother for me. It's, 
<laughs> from Spencer Confidential. I don't know why I remember that, but it's uh, it's probably the, the best three choices. But Mark Wahlberg could, who caps Matt Damon in The Departed. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Another movie I might watch. I might watch tonight. Uh, Will owns the Harvard Cuck, and how about them apples? <laughs> That's not going to win, I don't think, best scene, but it's up there. No, it's probably the most iconic scene from this movie. And iconic's an over word, overused word, but it's probably the most it's probably the most quotable thing in the whole movie. It's it might be the most YouTubed scene. Right. And I got a number. How do you like them apples? And my boy's wicked smart. Like those two. <laughs> when people think about this movie, those are probably the lines that come to mind. I don't blame them. They're really good. Also, I got to go back to Cole Hauser real quick. Cole Hauser played Carter Verone in Too Fast, Too Furious. And so mm. that's what I see him as. I, uh, <laughs> shout out to my Road to Fast 9 guys. I got I had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring that up. Uh, the Will courtroom scene, which we kind of mimicked earlier. You uh, hit a clop. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I love that line of dialogue so much. Assault, breaking and entering, assault, robbery, assault, assault. <laughs> I don't care. You, some other judges may care about that, but I don't care. You hit a cop, you're going in. <laughs> Book him. I think he need the cop in the balls. <sighs> he really roughed him up. Yeah. Or the upper guts. One of the two. He really fucked him up. Yeah, he he. I'm not. He he needed to be punished. I think we can agree. He needed to be punished for it. <laughs> uh, Sean and Will, their first meeting, and they're just kind of. You mentioned the chokehold earlier, and they're kind of matching wits in the scene as well. Like Sean is a doctor. He's literally a doctor. He's a well-respected uh, therapist, and this ex-con, you know, probation guy is matching wits with him. I, I I imagine that's a pretty uh, intimidating spot to be in if you're Sean. Sean handled himself really well, though. And I, we didn't talk about the, the other therapists, but he really took those guys to lunch, right? Like, Will wants no part of this. Like, he doesn't want to go to therapy. The no. therapy, so basically, and for those that, you know, whatever reason, haven't seen the movie... And are listening to this. And yeah, you if you haven't wanna... seen this, please. Uh, I meant what I said. It's a perfect movie. If you respect my opinion at all, if you're foolish enough to respect my opinion on movies, uh, I, I think it's a perfect movie. So, like before this, right? Like he, the condition of Will getting out of jail for hitting the cop is that he has to go to court mandated court mandated therapy and solve math problems for Gerald Lambeau. So, all these therapists before, right? Like he, Will just doesn't flat out doesn't respect them right like he's like he tells the one therapist Lambo hardly no but he has to at least feign that he does yeah and <laughs> like he tells one therapist you know the uh, <laughs> putting from the rough <laughs> implying that he's gay <laughs> like you tried to make a jump on me it's like what i did no such thing and he's like i rockets in flight <laughs> afternoon delights <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of the hypnotist and sing it, Doc. <laughs> He's <laughs> and when uh when Sean and Jerry meet up for the first time, I don't think we see Jerry in this or we don't think see Sean in this movie until like almost 40 minutes in. It's a while. It's it takes a while. And 
I like I knew that, but it's just like I was counting the time until he actually showed up on screen. But yeah. So he's like, how many therapists did you take him to before me? He's like five. And he's like, let me guess. And he names all the guys that he took him to. That's not the point, Sean. <laughs> I love the way that Stellan Skarsgård talks. And I know he's like Danish or something. And so Danish people like sound the most like Americans, but they do have like a little, like if you listen to the guy who played Jamie Lannister, I don't remember his name. Nikolai. Nikolai, Nikolai Koster Waldau. Yeah. Like they talk in a very like, they 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 have an accent, but it sounds like an American accent when they speak English. It's weird, Little but bit. you can definitely tell they have an accent. And Skarsgård kind of has it here. That's not the point, Sean. Like it's very exaggerated, right? And I, I just I love the way that Stellan Skarsgård speaks. But <laughs> <laughs> the first Stellan Skarsgård, his son Bill plays Pennywise. Mm. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. That's a fun fact. That is a very fun fact. Um, the first Sean and Will meeting, though, they are definitely matching wits. And Sh- Will is just looking for any sign of weakness, right? And to Sean's, cre- to Sean's credit, he doesn't give in. Even when he puts him in a chokehold, he's establishing his dominance. Yes. Which is why in the next meeting, they don't talk at all. Like, obviously, the park bench scene, which we'll get to in a second. But yes. Sean establishes dominance which you need against the will hunting right like he is looking for a reason not to like they say it later in the movie he's looking for a reason not to he's looking for a reason to run away you have to you have to command will hunting's respect or you're not going to get anywhere with him i mean we saw that with what all five therapists before sean you just it's something you have to do you have to do that or else you're just not you're not going to get through to him Exactly. That's uh, and you mentioned the park bench, which I'll just say right now is my pick. It's a great scene. It's not my pick. It's my pick. I just love, you know, honestly, the camera is right in front of Sean, Robin mm-hmm. Williams, the whole time, and then you get the slow pan onto Will Hunting, and he's just, you feel like he's he's kind of rocked by what he's hearing. He's he's getting throttled by this dude who's just laying into him, but also advising him. It's just it's just really really good camera work there. You could tell so, me all about Michelangelo, but have you ever seen the inside of the Sistine Chapel? Like it's honestly this scene, and the, it's not your fault scene. One Robin Williams, the Oscar. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not even close. No, not close at all. Not close and at all. It, it's honestly a great pick. It's not where I expected you to go. We'll talk about my favorite scene later or my best scene, but I think that Sean, like he just gets it right in a way that Will doesn't get it because we find out Will's only 20 <laughs> in this yeah. movie. Like he's really young and they do a really good job of making Matt Damon look really young, right? And Ben Affleck. Yes. Ben and- Affleck, especially. Ben Affleck looks like a kid like he he honestly looks nothing like he does right now (laughs) gonna tell me that's the guy in the batman suit (laughs) but yeah this honestly zach it's a great pick for a favorite scene but let's let's keep let's keep it moving yeah i mean speaking of uh most youtube scenes that might be it honestly if you go like most youtube goodwill hunting scenes uh, that might be near the top of the list i i think going like the scene or the part of the the speech that he gives that might be the most might be the most standout part is you think I know everything about your life just because I read fucking Oliver Twist? Yeah, that's a great 
that's one of those you think about Affleck and Damon writing this movie it's like why didn't you guys write more movies lines like that it's just like give me more from these guys that's a great line mm-hmm. that, whole yeah. di- that whole monologue is fucking amazing yeah and that's why Robin Williams can't be recast for this movie because no it's it's literally perfect I mean, can you, can you imagine, like, I'll just throw out a guy. Can you imagine, like, Gene Hackman? Mm-mm. No. No. I just, they caught Robin Williams at a great point in his career where, you know, he had done dramatic stuff. Probably the most dramatic thing he'd done to that point was Dead Poets. And nominated for an Oscar for that, but didn't win. I think, I don't know. It was just a great point to catch him out in his career. He was kind of moving out of the comedic era of his career. Just one of the best, one of the best performances in the nineties. Period. Period. Just simple as that. Uh, the Red Sox story, where Sean talks about meeting his wife. Really nice sky shot in that. I, the camera's like on the ceiling, and the furniture. As he's telling the story, the furniture is like set up as the bases at Fedway. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's funny. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great scene. That's a, that's a great scene. And it, it spawns, you know, the line I had to go see about a girl. Yeah. Like, again, just so many perfect parts of this movie, right? Like that whole scene and where Matt Damon's or where Will Hunting's like, Oh my God. And you, did you store in the field? He's like, no, I didn't. He's like, why? It's like, well, I was with, I was with her. He's like, your friends had to be the dumbest people on this earth to not let that not make you go to that game. He's like, I couldn't. He's like, I told him I had to go see about a girl. They saw the look so, in my face. Yeah. And they knew the way he talks, right? About you know, Sean's dead wife. You would you would think Robin Williams actually lost his wife in real life. Yeah. Seriously. Like it's he just like such depth, right? Like it's just I can't believe how like I Words can't describe how good I feel this performance is. I'll say that. And an underrated part of this scene and the writing in it, that is such a guy thing. Like, recalling the most memorable moments from your favorite sports teams. And I think that was a great use of that here because it shows you how he felt about this girl, that he was willing to forego or forsake literally – probably the biggest Red Sox moment until they won the World Series in 04 <laughs> for this for this girl that he right. literally never met. I thought it was and a it, really good use of that. And I think we, we passed this point, but he's like, you know, you've never been where the term visiting hours apply to you. I think this is the park bench scene. Yeah, it was. But it's just like every way he talks about his wife in this movie. We don't even, I don't, we never know her name. Nope. But... We understand that it's such an important part of his character. And they do such a good, like, obviously it's show, don't tell. But that's, I would even include what they did in this movie of sh- in show, don't tell. Because they obviously told us that losing his wife was a key moment in his life. But it really paints a solid picture for you of just like, you know, with, with him choking Will and with Sean, you know, just the way he talks about her. I think that's a perfect example of show, don't tell. So... Yeah, how Damon and Affleck never got another writing job together befuddles me, but... I would think... They strike me as the guys who... 
You know, and oddly enough, speaking of the Oscars, looking back on this, other than The Martian, I think this was Matt Damon's best chance to win an Oscar. Uh, I think Damon and Affleck are going to be those guys that they are going to get together in like their 70s and write, in a, write a movie together, star in a movie together, and it's going to win a bunch of Oscars. I, I just think that's what's going to happen. Probably. Which is I unfortunate so. because, I, you know, it's kind of wild. I mean, I think the only movie they did together after this was Dogma, which is a far cry from this. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I don't know. I hope they collaborate again someday. Um, I'll kind of run through these next few. Skyler meets Will's friends, meets Chucky, meets the whole crew. And you you mentioned the the joke she told that was nice. <laughs> One of the funniest jokes in the whole movie. Uh, Will shuts down Skyler. Really, really tough scene. Really, really he, tough. This this is in the top three for me of the whole movie. He's like, just tell me you don't love me. She's like, tell me you don't love me. And he's yelling at her, right? And like the rage is palpable. Uh, I know you wanted to shoot through this one, but I I just can't not talk about the scene, right? Like, no, this is this was her Oscar moment right here. It was her Oscar moment. It was probably his. If it wasn't for Titanic, like you said, this was probably his Oscar moment. He's like, right. you don't want to know about, you know, you see this mark right here? It's because he stabbed me. It's not a right? surgery. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not a surgery. He stabbed me. And like, I know like the yelling as acting trope is kind of overdone, right? Like, I know that. But I just like Damon is acting his ass off in this scene. Like when he hits the wall, right? And it's just so well done. She's acting her ass off too. Like many drivers should have. I, I understand, you know, she didn't win, but I, I still think she should have won. She, the just the emotion she had, right? Like just, bad all these luck. just a bad luck that, for her. This is why this movie won best adapted screenplay, Zach, because this, all the characters were so well developed. Yes. How many times, like, can you say that about a movie? Like genuinely speaking, like I know TV shows, like, Oh, character arcs, you know, whatever, whatever. But movies don't have that same kind of limit. They have more of a limitation in that regard. And all these characters are well-developed. Especially with an original movie. Because an original movie, you have nothing to fall back on but what's in your mind. Like, there's nothing, there's no adaptation to fall back on. There's no, like, history with those characters. They're your characters. You got to flesh them out yourself. That's what's most impressive to me about this movie. And like, these characters are so fleshed out. You feel like you can run into them on the street. You you buy the dialogue between them. It's just, it's awesome. It's awesome. Like when Skylar says you, like, because Will keeps bringing up the money. And obviously we know this is an area of sensitivity for Will because he had, he was an orphan, which he brings up in this little screed. She's like, my father died when I was 13. You think I wouldn't give all that money back right. to have him back? Like just everything is so good about this movie. Like there's, it's just literally perfect. And I love many, this, this scene is top three and it is. I'll just give you a hint. The second scene is um, it's not your fault. So we'll we'll let you ascertain yeah. what's what's first. But yeah, uh, and then we have Will tells off Lambo. Uh, he he sets the theorem on fire. You know stuff like that. It really just goes in on him. Um, not the first time he gets uh, destroyed in this movie. Uh, best part of my day, which. I'll just say right now, Ben Affleck's finest acting moment of his career. It's, it's my favorite part of the movie. It's my favorite part of the movie. You know, 
my favorite part, the favorite part of my day is for about 10 seconds when I go knock on your door and I'm hoping you don't answer. If you stay here in 20 years, I'll fucking kill you. No, fuck you. You don't know it to me or you don't know it to yourself. You owe it to me because in 20 years, I'm still going to be working here. And like just everything about that scene is perfect. But you, you did skip a scene, Zach. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but the NSA scene. Oh, yeah, sure. Like just that whole scene is like, <laughs> so now my buddy's walking around with shrapnel in his ass, having to walk to and from work every day. And when a the guy, they ship, they export his job to the country that he was just in, fight, fighting in. And it's just like that whole scene, like Will is just like, smarter than the nsa which is probably a little unrealistic but the character of bullet hunting is probably a little unrealistic for (laughs) in terms of um in terms of uh, mental ability but are you telling me you don't have a will hunting in your life right now i i can't say that i do zach (laughs) (laughs) but i thought the nsa scene that's that's one that i'll go back and watch too a lot yeah yeah, I, I didn't put that in here, but that's a, that's a good that's a good mention. Um, the Sean and uh, Jerry shouting match, that is pretty good acting, really good acting. Um, it does a lot for their relationship too. It's not your fault. Which uh, was this your pick or was the Affleck? Affleck was my pick. This is second. So if you'll let me riff on this scene for yeah. a second, I just like I saw this scene before I saw this movie. And I think this is what made me want to see the movie now that I'm remembering correctly. Now that I, that I reminded of that, I, cause I always heard about this scene, right? Like this scene is always so great. Like it's not your fault, Robin Williams. And actually, you know what I think spurred me watching this movie, Zach, as much as it sucks to say it, Robin Williams death. Yeah. Um, I think I actually read in a Greyland article. Now it's all coming back to me. I think it brought a lot of people back to his movies, you know, this, uh, Aladdin dead poets, Doubtfire brought him, you know, people just revisiting his works, which is, you know, what that's what happens mm-hmm. when, exactly. stuff, when stuff like that happens. And but Robin Williams in both of these, both of the scenes, right? Yelling at yelling at Jerry, right? Because he, you know, he's not you, you get that, which directly precedes the it's not your fault and it's not your fault scene, right? So he asks like any of it happened to you he's like yeah i've been doing this for 20 years i've seen my fair share of cases like he's like no it ever happened to you he's referring to like domestic violence right like or child abuse and he's like he's like my father would like three things on the table and i remember the belt i don't remember the second one and then a wrench the stick i think the stick and the wrench he's like he's told me to pick one He's like, which one? You, I'd have to go with the belt there, buddy. It's like, I went with a wrench. Robin Williams is like, why? It's like, fuck him. That's why. Yeah. Like, it's like, and then it keeps going. And he's like, listen, this shit, all this shit, it's not your fault. And he says it about four times. And then Damon just is like, stop fucking with me, Sean. And he just breaks down and starts crying. Don't fuck with me, Sean, not you. And you could tell, like, this is one of the things where just like these fully developed characters, like he just starts breaking down and you want to start breaking down with, with Will. Yeah. Like you feel like you feel Will struggles in that, you know, little scene. And I just, I don't know how to describe this scene other than it just gives me goosebumps every time at minimum, every time I watch it. And sometimes I choke up watching it because I think it's, you know, Sean is okay. Here's a question for you, Zach. Is this probably, 
this or the sopranos in terms of therapy show like t- therapy media oh. in media which obviously sopranos um, uh, was a little different but yeah well for movies it's definitely this i mean i can't even think of anything else but it's this in the sopranos in terms of therapy right yes and obviously totally. obvious spoiler alert because th- this is a more relevant spoiler alert than uh than goodwill hunting because i feel like more people haven't watched the sopranos than goodwill hunting at this point i would agree yeah i mean it feels like these are the two most prominent use of therapy in mainstream the, uh, and it's mainstream compl- uses of therapy would- it's completely different because obviously um <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler tony soprano uses the therapist dr melfi Basically, as a sounding board for his evil ideas, <laughs> at, yes. after a certain point. Hey, patient-client confidentiality, abuse it. <laughs> <laughs> did Did Melfi call him Anthony? I, it's been too long since I remember. But or, uh, patient-client that didn't make any sense. Patient therapist. <laughs> Mel, I feel like Melfi called him Anthony, but I, I can't remember for sure. But uh, I think she did. It's like. Let's talk about that gabagool. <laughs> Let's but, talk about the ducks. The fucking ducks. <laughs> Pussy. His name was Pussy. <laughs> but yeah, um I thought that this use of like also the build up. The build up. Yeah. Like Will has largely ignored his past in terms of his abuse from most of the movie and uh, you know uh, not counting the breakup of Skylar he's he's ignored it basically and this is just a build up it's all boiling over for him in the scene and i think going back to the fight scene at the very beginning you can see it in his face then i think that's one of the things like you could just see it in his face while he's beating the shit out of you know the poorly named Italian character that I, I don't remember the name of, um, like Giuseppe yeah, Gi- Giuseppe Scaraglia or something like yeah, that, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some stereotypical Italian name. Um, yeah, I just felt like you could see it the whole movie, and then once you figure out what it is, I agree with Rogers Roger Ebert's assessment, but I still would give it a four out of four stars. I I just think yes. it's great, but. Yes. Uh, and then the final scene, Will takes off. Will leaves to go see about a girl. Um, what's what's your favorite? Because since we already kind of hit on what you thought was the best scene, what's your favorite therapy session? All right, so we're not counting. It's not your fault, right? Right, that's, right. That's Don't not a therapy that. session. Okay, it's the one where they sit in silence for an hour. <laughs> that's fair. I don't know why. I just always love that scene because it's like continuation off of the last two times they've seen each other and they just don't want to say anything at all. It's totally so. fair. <laughs> I love, I just love that scene. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, mine would probably be the first one when they first meet just because Will kind of, Will realizes, I think a chokehold, I mean, I think a chokehold would make him realize, oh, I can't fuck with this guy. I don't know, Zach. It, it would be pretty hard for me to realize it. I, I'm not that good at reading between the lines. I, I don't know how a chokehold would do. Uh, some questions, Alex. Some questions. 
Uh, this isn't even a question. It's just a fact. Lambo hits on like two students at least. At oh least yeah, really. he's <laughs> he's very much that stereotype of the gross professor. Well, if you go get a drink with me tonight, I might tell you. <laughs> the, or we're not going to talk about this guy, but can we talk about like his little sidekick guy? I fucking hate that guy. He sucks. I don't know why he's in the movie. Honestly, he's in he the sucks. movie. Like when he says, Will just got lucky. Fuck you, dude. Just because you, <laughs> you do it, you fuck. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you want to ride Jerry Lambeau's coattails. So ah. I, I fucking hate that guy. But Lambeau's a creep. Lambeau um, is a total creep. It's a total creep. And the, that guy, when they go to the garage, right? When they go to the garage to find out um, about Will, right? Because they don't know anything about him. They just know he's a janitor. And... The kid goes, this is Professor Lambeau. <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, you need to shut the fuck up. Shut up. Just shut up. I wish his name was Donnie. <laughs> Donnie, you're out of your element. Donnie, you're out of your element. Just shut up. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> my, you know my voice is shot when I can't imitate Walter Subcat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even ask me to do Robert Baratheon. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Your mother was a dumb whore with a fat ass. Did you know that? <laughs> Hold on. I, I feel one coming. Gods, I was strong then. That's all, that's all I got. That's all I got. But. Thoughts on the first date, Alex, between uh, Skylar and Will? I mean... Pretty charming, I gotta say. Yeah, that was when they went to the um little prop store, right? And they... Right. They got. I. I like. Looks that like scene. a Dollar Tree, honestly. Yeah, and you know the little shop owner. Like it's just like a cute scene, you know. And I'm not like saying that in like a derisive way. I just thought I thought it was cute. So. Yeah. Uh, Chucky impersonates Will in the interview. <laughs> how? How was he able to do this? Well, because they didn't know what anyone looked like. They don't then. have a picture of Will. They don't have anything. No. Uh, this is one of. This is in comedy, but I'll, I'll say it now. Retainer. <laughs> also, the the tux he's wearing, it's clearly like his high school prom tux. Like the the pants are like up to his ankles. <laughs> that scene is just absolutely hilarious. I love that scene. <laughs> wearing tube socks, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but that's like one of the things that you can do in 97 that you can't do now now you can google Zach Griffith and I can't go to an interview in your place because I look nothing like Zach Griffith <laughs> so this is one of those 20th century kind of things that you, you can't get away with you now. get away with it yeah uh, would Skyler take him back when he got to Stanford that's obviously probably the biggest question. If he, drove, he looked her in the face and said, I don't love you. Yeah, but she was still looking at for him at the airport. She was. I think she takes him back. I think so, too. And who's to say, there's right? A little, there's some tears. There's definitely some tears, but I think she takes him back. Their connection is real. It's just the problem is Will. And if Will says, you know, I'm sorry, which we don't know. I wasn't know, ready. Right. Then... You know, I think I think it'll go smooth sailing. She obviously loved him. Yes. Like he loves so, her. I mean, he's kidding himself. Yeah. He loved her. he just didn't have the emotional capability of saying it. So no. I think she takes him back. I, I at least I'd like to hope so. 
Uh, I don't know why this isn't questions, but the I hate LA shirt that Casey Affleck is wearing at one point. <laughs> Just classic, like, Boston sports fan. <laughs> no, I mean, it's no surprise since they're in Boston that they're Celtics fans, but surprised we didn't get a Larry Bird. I know. Or, uh, let's see. Who would be on the Celtics in 1997? Paul Pierce go- wasn't there yet. Do we want to Google the 1996-97 Celtics roster? Yeah. That would have been Antoine Walker's rookie year. Oh, yeah. Chauncey? Chauncey Billups? No, that was the year before he was drafted. So we have Dana Barrows. Here's a a name for you. This is a rough year for the Celtics. Frank Rakowski. Eric Montross? Is he on the Celtics? He was not. We have Rick Fox. Ron Mercer? Purvis Ellison. Um, No, Ron Mercer was the year after, too. Um... Let's see. We have Dino Raja. Purvis. Purvis Ellison, former number one pick. <laughs> Never nervous Purvis. Sacramento Kings. Bust. Who'd have thought? And D Brown, former dunk contest oh. winner. <laughs> and that's literally the only people. Uh, Stacy King, current hey. Bulls color commentator. I did not know that he played for the Celtics. I didn't know he played that long. Wow. <laughs> Do you ever want to just read the last? Or not, not the Is last that Patino? Um, no, that... That would have been the year before Patino. It was ML Carr. They finished 15 and 67. So, so really tough. Oh my God. Oh my God. No wonder they're not talking about that. And they didn't get Tim Duncan. Wow. That's how bad the Spurs were, I guess. Let's look up the 1997 Red Sox. Mo Vaughn had to be on this team, right? 97 Patriots might not have been too bad. No, ma. Noma. Pedro. Surprised we didn't get a Noma reference. 306, 3, 342 on base, 534 slugging, nice. 30 homers, 98 ribbies. Not bad. Pedro? Would have been. No, Pedro does not look like you. Tim Wakefield was their number one starter. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Tim Wakefield, um, Tom Gordon, aka D. Gordon's father. Um. <laughs> That's crazy. Tim Wakefield. If Tim Wakefield's your number one starter, you're fucked. Let's see. You are fucked. 78 and 84. That's that's about right. I think the Pats might have been the best team in Boston that year. Because they, they made the Super Bowl in 96, 96 season. Well, Bledsoe would have been there, so. They couldn't have been too bad. Right? See, New, New England Patriots, 19. Yeah. Oh, look at that boy. Drew. still the coach. Look at that boy, Drew. Um, Let's see. Yeah, Drew Bledsoe. Almost ten-year contract, your bud. So almost four thousand yards. Okay. Curtis Martin, Ben Coates, nice. Yeah, Ty Law, Teddy Bruschi. Um, it does not appear that Teddy Br- Bad- Baghdad Bruschi is on the. Um, <laughs> so I, I should explain that because so on the Levitard show they call him Baghdad Bruschi because he always defends um, New England on ESPN like George Bush would defend the, the Iraq war. <laughs> so <laughs> Baghdad Bruski. <laughs> uh, Will's birthday present from the guys. What kind of friends are these to buy you a car on your birthday? <laughs> I mean, it was a piece of junk, so it couldn't have cost that much money. Still. <laughs> My friends give me a car. You and the Running Hook Network buy me a car on my birthday? <laughs> Buddy, I don't think we can get you a car better than the one you already have. So I, I, I think I, I'm going to have to pass. 
on this round, but who buys me a car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with all the money Coop spends on movies, he might be able to buy me a car. Who who knows? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll save up and I'll I'll buy you a, I'll buy you a car. But, okay, and we talk about the car, and that was the best part of Cole Hauser in this whole movie. <laughs> Was just like, yeah, fix up the car real good. Put a nice engine in there. Breaking down the mechanics of the car. <laughs> like that's that's pretty much the main dialogue he has in the whole Scouting movie. report on the car. <laughs> if you don't have the subtitles on, you think that's the first time he's talked all movie? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, he like, barely talks when Skyler's at dinner with him. He's like muttering under his breath. That's when you need the subtitles on. Like, he's like, shut the fuck up, Morgan. <laughs> Like, very, very understated. Uh, and then, did the car make it to California, Alex? I'm going to say there were some engine problems along the way. You know what? With the effort that Bill and Morgan and uh, Chucky put in the car, I think it made it to California. I think it made it I, all the way? I think it did, you know. I, it, they put a nice, a lot of effort into the engine, you know, just a couple nice boys. Car. Was a just nice a couple car. boys from Southie, you know. A couple Southie boys buying a car for the boy. We no problem with it. Uh, let's see. Some comedy. Tootsie Roll Dick. <laughs> Fuck you, Chucky, and your Tootsie Roll Dick. <laughs> uh, grown men watching a Little League game with no rooting interest, just for going to the going to the Little League to watch a game. Is that all there is to do in Southie? <laughs> like, you know... I, hey, I'm not going to judge. Like, it's weird. Getting drunk at a Little League game, like my dad. Hey, if you got nothing better to do, fuck <laughs> it, you know, I guess. I don't know why you subject yourself to Little League. That's some of the, that's, uh, I hate watching youth sports, except for my siblings, of course, except for my siblings, but. <laughs> and then this one, one of my favorite underrated lines of this movie. So this is a Harvard bar, huh? Thought there'd be equations and shit on the walls. <laughs> Just, my boy's wicked smart. <laughs> Another underrated thing that happens in the bar is when, uh, is when, um, El- or hold on, what, um, what's her name again? I'm Skylar's character. There we go. I kind of blanked yeah, out for a second. When Skylar walks up to the, um, when Skylar walks up to the bar and he, Morgan is talking to Will and Morgan just goes, I think I swallowed a bug and walks away <laughs> when she walks up. And she goes, you're an idiot. He's like, why am I an idiot? Because I've been sitting there waiting all this time for you to come over to talk to me. And you haven't come. So you're an idiot. Now I have to go. He's like, why don't we just go get some caramels or something? (laughs) Basically the same thing. (laughs) Just as trivial as coffee. (laughs) And Uh, he calls her from inside the jail. (laughs) Any chance you're free law? <laughs> That's his one phone call the girl he met the night before. <laughs> Classic. Uh when uh Lambo goes to the janitor's office and says, I'm this is Professor Lambo. This is Professor Hayes. <laughs> Hey, we were talking we were talking about that earlier, but that's all that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Uh, Will's rap sheet. We got to talk about that as well. 
what do you bench? Just Will getting shown up by Sean. <laughs> Fifty. What do you bench? Uh, Two eighty-five. Nice painting you got there. <laughs> uh, and then Casey's character whacking off in in, in uh, Chucky's mom's room <laughs> into his baseball glove. Into his baseball glove. That's tough. That's tough. If you're Chucky. It's a tough beat. <laughs> Is that a pun? <laughs> hey, make it what you will, all right? Make it what you will. Uh, the performances and a couple more Rushmore's for us, Alex. Matt Damon is Will Hunting. Is this the best performance of his career, do you think? Yes, I do. I think that th- it's going to be a very common theme for all the Rushmore's we have. Yes, it is their best performance. I think it is. I think it is. It, like, it's just literally perfect. Um, Matt Damon's a very good actor. But I just, this is no slight against him. He wrote the perfect script for himself. So, of course, it's going to be his best role. And unlike a lot of other actors, he, his script for himself is actually good. So, let's just go ahead and get my um, Damon Rushmore out of the way. Yeah. So, Goodwill Hunting is first on all these Rushmores, including 97. Um, I haven't seen Titanic, so I didn't put it. No, that's but. fine. So, Goodwill Hunting. And again, I'm doing movies, three movies that I have seen, and then one that I feel like um, belongs on there. So, okay. Goodwill Hunting, The Departed. The Departed. Ocean's Eleven. Hey. And then I put one of the Bourne movies. Now, you've probably seen the Bourne movies, and I haven't, so you can decide which one. But I, I feel like the Bourne movies are on his Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick The Born Identity. I think that's that was the first one, and uh, I don't know if it's the best one, but it's my favorite. So, yeah, any uh, tough omissions you had, or is that it? Um, I haven't seen Rounders, but, you know, if I had it, probably. I started watching Rounders. I just could never finish that movie. Um, it's kind of slow. It's kind of Yeah. So I would probably, if I had seen Rounders, I'd probably have it on there. Um, and I think that's about it. Like, it feels like his career's kind of tailed off after 2009 a little bit. I mean, I did, for a joke, I did want to have Thor Ragnarok in there, but I, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself that far. Um, but yeah, that's that's my Damon Mount Rushmore. Uh, for me, it's Goodwill Hunting. That's number one. I think it's his best performance. Number two, I just have the whole Bourne series. <laughs> Uh, and here's here's a note I had. This is a big franchise. Like this is a pretty big franchise, especially in two thousands. And it's kind of an afterthought that Matt Damon is an action star. Like he's been in so many good movies and put up so many good performances. It's kind of it's kind of like oh yeah, he's like the James Bond of America. Also, <laughs> hey, you know, it just it's, it's called Range Zach. It is called Range. I like it. Uh, number three, The Martian. The Martian, I thought, was his best chance at an Oscar after Goodwill Hunting. And, um, you know, tough year going up against Leo and The Revenant. Really tough. But I thought it was his best chance. And then uh, The Departed. The Departed. Uh, he's really playing a villain. It's not your stereotypical villain, but it is a villainous role. So I'll give him points for that. And hanging with Leo and Jack Nicholson. I'll give him points for that as well. I, I'm... I do want to add, if he was an Interstellar longer, Interstellar would be on the Rushmore. Wow. Like, wow. If it wasn't just like, it's not a bit part, obviously, but the movie's very long. He's in maybe like a half hour of it. It's, it's you could call it a cameo. Right. I, that's, 
that's the basis of me having. I thought he was great in Interstellar, though, because that's another one, like unsuspecting villain. It's kind of a different kind of thing from The Departed, but he's like, it kind of sneaks up on you because you're like, oh, it's Matt Damon, you know, he's going to be a good guy. And then he tries to kill, he tries to kill Murph, or not Murph, um, he tries to kill Matthew McConaughey. Murph is the, Murph is the girl, but right. I, I just like saying Murph. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, another I Casey Affleck movie, Interstellar. Right. Oh yeah, he was in Interstellar. <laughs> Jesus. Interstellar on the uh, Casey Affleck Mount Rushmore, just off the top of your uh, head. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think he was in it long enough, to be honest. Probably not. This is on there. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, has to be on there. Uh, some of my omissions: Saving Private Ryan. Um, one of the probably the best war movie of all time, and he's the title character. So. That was a tough omission. Rounders, tough omission. Talented Mr. Ripley, which is my favorite movie of his outside of, or not my favorite movie, but my favorite performance of his outside of Goodwill Hunting. Mm. He's also playing a villain in that. It's it's not your stereotypical villain. He's like a he, he's a he's like a psychopath. Honestly, it's not your stereotypical killer. And talented Miss Ripley, great movie. And then the Ocean series is uh, a tough omission as well. And I wanted to mention this. It's kind of interesting to look at Matt Damon and Ben Affleck after this movie because they they went in two different directions. Matt Damon after this movie did from '99 to '02. He did Saving Private Ryan, Rounders, Talented Mr. Ripley, Dogma, Ocean's Eleven, and The Born Identity. And he peaks in 2006 with a departed. And Ben Affleck, 99-02. Shakespeare in Love, which if you listen to this show, you know my thoughts. Armageddon, which box, box office success, so he gets points for that. Dogma with Matt Damon. Reindeer Games, which is a really bad action movie. Pearl Harbor, again, with Michael Bay after Armageddon and just a horrible movie. And then he hits rock bottom with Geely and Daredevil in both 2003. And then his, he he really bounces back starting in 2007. He directs Gone Baby Gone. And you know what? Let's just get into the Ben Affleck Mount Rushmore right now. Is this, what what do you, what do you got? Okay. So obviously Goodwill Hunting is one. Then Gone Girl is two. And I, I don't remember having seen the whole movie, but based on my honor system, I have seen it. So Argo is third. And I wanted to have the Armageddon commentary fourth <laughs> on my Mount Rushmore list. You know, I because, people, uh, why didn't we just have astronauts? Why didn't we? Why do you have to teach <laughs> astronauts to become oil drillers? Why not just teach the oil drillers to become astronauts? Seems like a lot easier. But Michael Bay said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> he's absolutely hilarious in that but um the town i have seen the nun scene so that's good enough for me for my yes. my rushmore what's what's your rushmore for affleck yes look i'm gonna say something and it's it's not i like ben affleck i really i like ben affleck and the, i don't want this to come off as a slight but i came up with this rushmore in about five seconds because his highs are really high they're about, I mean, like Oscar winning high. And his lows are really fucking low. <laughs> Rock bottom. <laughs> I mean, Geely and Daredevil in the same year, that is horrible. 
That is horrible. But number one, I got Goodwill Hunting. I think it, it features his best acting moment. Um, I'll give him bonus points for writing the screenplay and winning the Oscar. So I think that's number one. Number two is Argo. Showed he was a legitimate director. I think the town showed that before, but this showed, uh, I think, a wider audience. One best picture. And he hung with Brian Cranston, Alan Arkin, and John Goodman. Like, that's not easy to do. Not nominated for best director, which is a crime. He he probably, I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just bullshit. But he won best picture. The town... Again, a directing directing bonus points. Honestly, uh, my favorite movie of his, The Town. I just love that movie. Love every part of it. And then uh, Gone Girl. I think it was his best overall acting performance. And he was able to hang with David Fincher and Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike, who should have won Best Actress. Yeah, Rosamund Pike. I don't know if I agree with hung with Rosamund Pike, but he he held his own. That's what I mean. He held his own. Yeah, because Rosamund Pike should have won Best Actress because that was some of the best acting I think I've ever seen. Look, if you want my thoughts on that travesty, just go listen to Gone Girl Pod. But that's what I mean by hung. He held his own. He wasn't blown off the screen. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, he was hung in the shower. They did show... uh... (laughs) You remember that scene, Alex? (laughs) I don't. It's my memory is shot, but I'll have to. I'll have to go see what you're referencing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's too bad. I sorry. I had to bring that up. Uh, some tough omissions. Gone baby, gone. Starring his brother Geely. Casey. Geely, no, that was not tough at all. That no, no. <laughs> you ever seen Gone Baby Gone? I have not. No, it's, it is good. It's fucking good. I mean, listen, it's not a hot take. Casey's a better actor than Ben. That's that's not that's not a hot take at all. And it really shows that God may be gone. Like, he was great in that movie. Chasing Amy, which, interesting premise, Alex. Ben Affleck plays a guy who is in love with a lesbian woman and is, like, trying to get her to fall for him. So that's it's a good movie. Really good. And then The Way Back, which is pretty recent. He plays an alcoholic coach. Mm. Um, you know, literally on his way back to sobriety. So that was also a really good performance by him. So, uh, yeah. How about you, Robin Williams? All right. So obviously this is first and it's not really any competition. Um, and then I did, I've seen dead poets, so it's not second, but it's on the list. I've seen like half of dead poets. I never finished the movie. So that's why I couldn't have it higher on the list because I've actually seen those movies. And again, I'm going with my honor system. So Aladdin is second. Yeah. And then I have Mrs. Doubtfire third. Yeah. Yes. I was worried you wouldn't have Aladdin on there. No, I listen, it had to be on there. Like, yes, I was in, like, I can't watch the new live action Aladdin simply because of Robin Williams. You know, how I feel about animated movies, Alex Aladdin high up there for me. Mm-hmm. Really high up there. Uh, well, I've got dead poets. Number one. Interesting. Um, I've got this number two. It's tough. Very tough. Should have won an Oscar for Dead Poets. I don't remember who won that year, but he should have won. Aladdin, number three. One of the best voice acting performances of all time. Not even close. And then Good Morning Vietnam. He was also nominated for an Oscar for that. Some tough omissions, Mrs. Doubtfire and Jumanji. Yeah, I was going to have Jumanji on my list too. 
but I had to have Dead Poets on there because I know it's a very iconic role. So also uh, Insomnia, a Nolan movie he started with Al Pacino. Was very, mm. he played a villain in that movie. Yeah, Sounds un- good. Unconventional villain, but very good. Any thoughts on Skarsgård and Driver and Casey before we move on? I love Minnie Driver in this movie. Like, I think that performance, she just played the character so well. And I, I think part of it's the script, but you can't do shit with a good script if you don't have the actors to play the parts. Totally and right. she, she knocked it out of the park. Like, I just, I mean, she's just absolutely perfect for the role and what they need her to be. And she acts so well. And I don't know what she did after this movie, but I feel Not like she should. much. I she should have like been bigger. Exactly. Like she's been she's so fucking good in this movie. She's it's in not a e- movie called uh Gross Point Blank a couple years after this with John Cusack. She's really good in that. But um those those honestly those might be her two biggest movies. Which is she, uh, it's a shame, honestly. It's a shame. I just feel like she she was so good in this movie. And she, if you have good source material and you and you rock it, then I feel like that takes it to a whole other level. And I feel like she did that. And I, you know, again, I thought she should have won Best Supporting Actress. I thought she was, you know, probably could have. I understand Best Actress. There really was no like main actress in this movie, but something, man. She was. I just feel like you know she was really fucking good in this movie, and I she took it to another level. And then Stellan Skarsgård, I feel like is really. I haven't seen him in a whole lot of stuff, but I feel like he's very easy to hate, and he did that in this movie, while also very, redeeming himself. Very easy to hate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Stellan Skarsgård did his thing, and then Casey Affleck was funny as Morgan. So very funny, very funny. The whole crew was honestly really funny. We got it the worst, Alex. One of the trademark cinema segments. We got the dude at the Harvard bar. We've got Skyler getting broken up with in a pretty brutal way. Uh, all the therapists before Sean getting fucked with. And then MIT students getting shown up by an ex-con janitor. Who, what's your pick? Um, unfortunately, and it pains me to say this, it was definitely Skyler. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> and it sucks because I want to go with the funny answer, but I can't, you know, I'm a journalist, Zach. I can't let the funny get in the way of the truth. Yeah, you got to let your Caleb Lynn objectivity come through sometimes. <laughs> no, it's my Zach Griffith objectivity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. King of objectivity here on cinema. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I like Skylar just absolutely got the worst because um, Will told her straight to her face. I don't love you. And I don't think he meant it. But he was trying to get out of, like, he was trying to get out of Dodge. So she got it the worst. just saying anything he, anything that was necessary to get out of it. Yeah. So she got, I think she got it the worst. What do you think? Uh, I mean, that's tough to pass up. Tough. I mean, those other ones on here are just, like, for comedic purposes. Skyler's the winner. The, the therapist, I will say, are as close to second as you probably can get in this segment. Yeah, they're literally getting their time wasted. Literally. <laughs> and the dude is... <laughs> Again, this, like, you know, this movie wouldn't get made for budgetary reasons today, but they couldn't have the putting from the rough joke. In there no, today. no, they couldn't. <laughs> that joke, I don't know why. It's like, you were trying to jump me. What do you mean? I was, what? He's like, <laughs> you're flattering yourself. Oh my God, that was so funny. Oh my God, that was so funny. 
Come on, that was funny. Come on. It, no, I'm saying it's hilarious. <laughs> but they just they wouldn't include it in there. I don't even think Getting it's that from offensive. The rough. What? What do you mean, sir? It's it's not even that offensive, but it's just I feel like that's just the joke that they wouldn't include. Uh, I'm sorry, but it, Jerry, I can't I can't do this anymore. It's a hopeless case, you, Jerry. It's hopeless. He's a raving loony in there. <laughs> oh, that's great. And then our newest segment, Alex. Slip in the DMs. A cast or crew member who gauge your interests and you would want to slip in the DMs of them to know more. All right. All right, this is tough. Because um, there's like five main actors in this movie, right? Right. I Okay, I'd slip in Mini Driver's DMs and ask her why did she not do more after yes. this movie. Yeah. Like what stopped you is it because they didn't think you were conventionally beautiful at the time like is that what it was like did hollywood because you know you know zach i'm not like here caring about a person's looks if they can act their asses off right like i think that that shouldn't matter at all but you know for women for all time it's been that kind of standard you it's know, getting you to, it's getting better in hollywood right now but it, it is mattered. But, it has mattered for like years <laughs> And like to most people, most people on the street, if you saw Minnie Driver on the street, you'd be like, she's one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. But in yes. Hollywood, you're competing like, and I don't like to use the word competing, but that's just the the fact of the matter is what you're doing. You're competing. She with is like, beautiful in this movie. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. But like, you're competing with like, like who's back then, like Uma Thurman, you know, coming off of Pulp Fiction, like that kind of thing. And it's Uma kind of Thurman, um, Angelina Jolie, like, Jennifer Aniston, hell, Charlize. Yeah. I mean, Charlize is like 22. Yep. At this time, like something around there. So, yeah. Jennifer Lopez. Mm hmm. So, I, I would just like to know if that was the reason why she didn't get any more roles, if she wanted to do something else. So, that I, that would be mine. What would yours be? I was slipping in the DMs of Ben Affleck <laughs> and Matt Damon and make it a group chat and say, why the fuck didn't you guys write another movie together? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I love that. You want an Oscar and you're just like, yeah, we're good. Go separate ways. I'm going to go work with Michael Bay real quick. <laughs> and then you're going to roast him on the director's commentary, on the, <laughs> on the commentary for the movie. I'm going to work with him a couple times, actually. Jeez. Uh, fun facts before we wrap it up, Alex. Um, Damon wrote a 40-page script for this movie as a final for a playwriting class. Pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a class and then to turn it into a movie, it's pretty good. An Oscar winning movie? Not too bad. I wonder what grade he got. Matt Damon, those who don't know, went to fucking Harvard. So he was the hottest kid. <laughs> went to Harvard. Like this dude's this dude literally is wicked smart. Uh, originally included Will being recruited by government agencies. Uh, Rob Reiner, famous director, told them to drop that, said it was too unrealistic. Wasn't um, William Goldman involved in this movie as well, too? I feel like he was. It was uh, rumored that he uh, was a ghostwriter on the script, that Damon and Affleck didn't really write it. And there was an interview with Goldman I watched and he basically laughed at that. 
And he said, if I wrote that script, I wouldn't be working right now. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was just, I think it was a case of Affleck and Damon being these young dudes who burst onto the scene and these older heads of the Academy were just like, there's no way you guys wrote this. Like somebody else had to have wrote this. And Golden was just like, no, I was just an advisor. I didn't, I didn't touch the script. So yeah, that was, that's that. Uh, Affleck and Damon wouldn't sell the script unless they were the leads. A lot of executives wanted Brad Pitt and Leo to be the Will Hunting character. It just wouldn't work. It's not the same movie. No, it's not. It's not. Like, and I love both those guys. I mean, Brad Pitt's my favorite actor, and I wouldn't want him in this role. And plus, you're diminishing Brad Pitt, too. So it's a lose-lose-lose. It's just it's not a good idea. No. No. Um, this one. <laughs> this nice one. Uh, Affleck and Damon included an explicit oral sex scene in the script to make sure studio execs were really reading it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was an explicit gay sex scene too. I'm I, that's what I've heard. Between Sean and Will, yes, that's what it was. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um was I, I know this is a little problematic, but wasn't it Weinstein it was. who told him to take it out? Ironically, it was Weinstein. Ironically. You know, someday I'm going to do that to you. When I'm doing a monologue on, on a pod, I'm going to throw in oral sex scene and see if, you, see if you're really editing these pods thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is what it is, Zach. Um, <laughs> see if you're the paying- monologues I have to listen to, but... See if you're paying attention. <laughs> I listen to them. Am I paying attention? I mean, you you saw my uh, I you saw my feedback on your um, on your mailbag on the last episode. So oh yeah, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last couple here, Casey Affleck ad libbed most of his lines. And that is really impressive. He has a lot of funny lines in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned one of them, the fly. <laughs> and then. The most at the end of the movie, we didn't talk about this. Um, Robin Williams ad lib. I'm pretty sure that last line he says when Will drops out the letter in his mailbox and says, I went to see about a girl. Yep. He goes, Son of a bitch, he stole my line. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's the last line of dialogue in the whole movie. It like, is. And it might be the most famous line in the whole movie. My, there's a lot of most famous lines in the whole movie. Like this movie is very quotable it's and very full of them. Very rewatchable. Yes, totally. And then the last fun fact: Gus Van Zandt was chosen to direct over Mel Gibson and Michael Mann. Mel Gibson directing this movie. Mel Gibson coming off of Braveheart. I mean, Michael listen, Mann coming off of Heat. I mean, for the sake of our own, you know, consciences, it's probably a good thing this movie didn't have Weinstein and Mel Gibson attached to it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like the Weinstein thing, you can go, okay, whatever. Tarantino, like the first however many Tarantino films were Weinstein movies. But this, that, that would be a bridge too far. That'd be a really bad beat. <laughs> really bad. 
Uh, but Alex, I want to thank you for coming on. Favorite movie series, Goodwill Hunting. And of course. It's time to plug. So, okay. So, before we plug anything, um, if you're on Instagram, I made an Instagram page. This is a plug. Don't lie to yourself. It's no, th- th- it's a plug, but before we plug the, <laughs> the other podcast, I'll say. All right. So, we're starting an Instagram page. I'm going to basically do what I do on Twitter. But it's it's easier to find on Instagram. And Zach, I believe your dad is following me on Instagram. Is is he? Uh, I run that account for the company, and yes, I followed it. Okay, I I wanted I didn't know if that was you or not, yes. but yes, um, that. So you are following me on Instagram. That's that's great. Um, so yeah, we have an Instagram page. It's just at the Running Hook, and I think this is gonna be a great way to gain fo- gain followers. You can really abuse the hashtag system in the. Uh, <laughs> in instagram more than you can on twitter i mean twitter has been great but i dylan and i were talking about this when we recorded power hour yesterday or before we recorded it. it's a lot easier to get lost in the shuffle on twitter and just not get yes. seen yeah like it's easier to get followers on instagram whatever oh yeah for sure like your po- your other podcast on um, partners in crime like your uncle has like over a thousand followers on there he all he does dude is uh just put the link in people's DMs. Just be like, hey, listen, listen to this. And they follow him. <laughs> I, I respect it. You know, I mean, I mean, partners in crime. Shout out, to, shout out to you guys because you guys are, uh, that's, a, that's a great podcast. And I listen, you you know, I listen to that too because thanks. I was, at, I was asking if every uh, episode was going to be, well, Gunner, <laughs> old Gunner Lindblom. <laughs> um, but go, go check out partners in crime, obviously. And we're, so, okay, busy week for the network next week. So, um, Circle City Cinema will obviously be doing stuff. I won't be on the um, the Winter Soldier and the uh, Falcon recap this week because I'll be busy. Zach, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you got that. Co- I'm going to be doing the Final Four this weekend. So shout out to Who Malcolm. you got? Who you got, Alex? I got, um, let's see. First game is going to be Houston and Baylor. And then second game is going to be Bill Walton's UCLA Bruins versus the undefeated <laughs> Gonzaga Bulldogs and you no, know, no, no, Alex, Alex, who you misunderstood me. Who you got? Oh, I'm, I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking my Bruins. You know, conference champions. Shout out to Bill Walton. Caleb. <laughs> shout out to Bill Walton. Shout out to Caleb Blin and shout out to Bill Walton in that order. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I am not taking UCLA, unfortunately. Even though if UCLA wins, the first person I'm texting is Caleb. <laughs> oh, and I'm saying, I you saw I have a picture of UCLA Bill Walton saved on my phone. Yep, that's the first picture that's getting sent to him. <laughs> so, um, but no, I have I have Gonzaga and Baylor advancing to the championship round. So yeah. we'll we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. And I think Gonzaga's going to win. I think Gonzaga's going to go perfect in Indiana. It's going to be beautiful, beautiful storyline. I think it's been 45 years since the, or was that 77 or 76? 76. 76. So it's been 45 years, a nice round number. So, yeah. Um, so I'll be at that. But Zach, I'm sure you'll have somebody filling in from you for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but pods. Um, yes. Well, good luck. Good luck at that. A lot of coverage, a lot of coverage but, on the final four. So I'll probably be on Lynn Sanity next week. I'm not, I'm not saying for sure, but um, so. Lynn Sanity will be back next week wrapping up the college season and then it'll be done for a few weeks until basically the beginning of like towards the beginning of May or like draft time, basically NFL draft time. They'll be done, but they'll have that. We'll have divine rhyme 
making their long-awaited yes. debut next week. They're going to be talking about J. Cole's music. It's going to be like a lifestyle music pod, so if you like that, check that out. Um, Power Hour will be doing the... Next week, we'll be doing your Knicks, the Hawks, Stop. and JD's first. <laughs> My Knicks. <laughs> I had to do it. Who the hell um, are you kidding? <laughs> um, so go check that out if you're into the NBA coverage. And we're doing bigger picture questions this time around. So if you don't want to get bogged down in the details of Taj Gibson, um, I think <laughs> it'll it'll be good for you. Um, triple option pass. We'll be back next week. Oh! So it's draft time like we were saying. So they're going to be doing draft coverage for the next couple of weeks. And then the draft is on April 29th, Zach. So it's four weeks from today. That's not long at all. We're putting this out on Friday, but we're recording on April fool's day. So yeah. And then battleground, you guys are going to try to get a new episode out next week. Yes, we will. We and will. then what do we got coming up on the cinema docket? Well, you mentioned Falcon winter soldier recap. And then next week we've got, Road to F9, Fast 4 with me, Bryce, and Devin. Uh, by far the worst entry in the franchise. But you sound gonna... thrilled to do it. <laughs> but we're going to have fun with it. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, and then favorite movie series, again, on the horizon. Dylan Hughes is up next. He hasn't decided what his favorite movie is. He's leaning Parasite, but he's undecided. So we will see what he picks. But uh, that's all I got for the foreseeable future. Oh, also this month sometime, uh, Boys in the Hood 30th anniversary with JD and his brother Jamal. Mm. So that will be fun. I can't, I can't wait to hear that. A lot of good stuff going on at the network. Um, I'm really excited for Divine Rain to come off the ground. I'm really excited to have Triple Option Pass back. Yeah. So it's going to be... It's it's really like... This is a great time to hop on the train if you haven't hopped on already. I want to shout out uh, Cooper Ogle. Um, I heard you've been spreading the good the good word up in West Lafayette. So. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I I want to shout you out personally because and I, I want to shout out Cooper Ogle and I want to shout out Christian Logan and my girlfriend Ariana Rainwater because they they support us and they retweet all our stuff. They so do. Um, it's really it's really appreciated. You know, the, our three super fans basically at this point. <laughs> so shout out to them and shout out to everyone who listens to this podcast. Yes, yes, and as always, folks. Thanks for listening.